Shot clock unclogged. 104, 104, seven seconds to play. Iverson against Gill, the crowd on its feet. Allen for the win! Yes! What are we waiting for? Guys, got another edition of the Connor and Mark Show alongside Mark Rogers. I'm Connor Gabe. We have a very special guest today. He is the play-by-play announcer for the Philadelphia 76ers. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Zumoff and also on Instagram at Zoo Planet. Uh, Mark Zumoff, how are you doing? I'm great, guys. Uh, thank you so much for reaching out to me. I'm flattered. No, thank you. No, thank you for for hopping on and talking about uh, the Sixers who are now in their off season. But first up, uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I just figured after they were unceremoniously swept that no one would want to talk to me, but I, I'm good to go. Well, again, Mark, thanks so much for coming on. And, and yeah, it definitely was a tough end of the season with a lot of promise at the beginning. Um, but kind of jumping in real quick, you know, with everything going on, how the season stopped and then obviously transitioned to the bubble for the pandemic and everything like that. Um, how was your experience just calling these games from outside the bubble in Philadelphia and with that, how did NBC Sports and, you know, the broadcasting networks kind of help you and your crew um, make this as authentic as possible? I think that NBC Sports Philadelphia has done an unbelievable job since the NBA shut down, the NHL shut down, <clears throat> Major League Baseball shut down in spring training, just keeping fans into it, keeping their heads in the game, supplying content and just doing whatever was needed until games resumed, which we were all very thankful for. And then logistically, as I think about what my boss had to do and what my colleagues have had to do, and I guess to some extent what I had to do, um, we were just happy to be able to get games on TV and bring it to fans. Basically, what we did was we took up the hockey press boxes at Wells Fargo Center and each of those press boxes, normally reserved for broadcast crews to do hockey, were then repurposed for our purposes. So I had my own box. Ali Abdenabi had a box. Serena Winter had it. Winters had a box. And basically what we did was we broadcast games off a monitor. We had lights. We had a camera. Um, we would get a uh, – in direct answer to your question, what are some of the things that the crew did to help me, uh, just pumping in the crowd noise was able to was something that really helped me to get more into the broadcast especially being remote and having to do the game off a month and then you know there were some instances where you weren't quite sure what was going on or you know I think a few times early on I actually misidentified a few players but overall the experience was great I just wish it would have lasted longer no, that's a great point, and I do want to get into the Sixers. Obviously, a very disappointing uh, end of the season. They went for uh, forty-three and thirty, uh, six in the Eastern Conference, and then, like you said, got swept by Boston. Looking back after you had some time to digest what happened this season, what do you think was the biggest reason at the core for why this uh, season was a failure? I hate to rank them because typically, when 
you assess a team's performance, good and bad, over a season. There are many ups and there are many downs. Suffice it to say, injuries were an issue, and I don't mean to make that sound like an excuse, but I think it is to a point when you're missing your two best players for fairly substantial periods of time. Joel Embiid, you kind of expect, given his previous years in the league, as a, a 60 or 65 game player, that's why I think Elton Brand went out and got someone like Al Horford. I apologize, by the way, for the beeping. I'm outside. The truck is backing up. You're going to have to bear with me. <laughs> no, you don't worry about it. You're good. But I think that's why uh, Elton Brand went out and got Al Horford because he knew he'd only have Joel for X amount of games, not a full season. And when you're missing him and missing Ben Simmons as they were, that really becomes a challenge for the team on the defensive end. So when both were healthy and both were playing, the Sixers were, in fact, a top-five defensive team in the NBA in terms of points given up per 100 possessions. But when those guys were missing, either one of them or at times both of them, it, it created a real problem. And then certainly on the offensive end, I think there was, a theory that Al Horford would be more of a compliment given his ability to pass from the high post and his ability to hit from the outside. Turns out it wasn't, and that's why the Sixers, uh, towards the end of that uh, small regular season they had in the bubble and then the playoffs, uh, decided that they were going to bring him off the bench, which was probably a, the best move. But by that time, the Sixers were already missing Simmons, and, and I believe that – they would have been certainly much more competitive and had a much better chance to take the series from the Celtics had they had a healthy Simmons. So uh, those are just a few of the issues. And now the Sixers need to hire a coach and perhaps some changes in the front office and then the draft and then free agency. So a lot has to happen. And uh, right now we don't know when the next season's going to start, just given the, the vagaries surrounding uh, COVID-19, uh, the possibility of a vaccine. But uh, there's a lot of work to be done, for sure. Yeah, and, and Mark, you made a great point right there, talking about you know another problem was the coaching, and and obviously the um, Sixers made a move by firing Brett Brown, um, still vacant at the head coaching position, but you know Brett Brown was here for a ton of seasons, was here really during maybe the lowest point in the Sixers franchise, um, you know when the when the process started. Kind of looking back at Brett Brown's legacy, how do you think the fans, the media? the organization, and even the city of Philadelphia will remember him. I'll certainly remember him in a number of respects. First, the process years where he had a season where he won as few as 10 games and was great in terms of maintaining a positive demeanor, developing players, exercising patience, and just helping the Sixers organization get through that time period. I think people forget that he developed Ben Simmons just in terms of making him a point guard. Maybe he doesn't belong at the point now exclusively, maybe more of the point forward or maybe another ball handler in there seems to be the way to go as it relates to Ben and not just have him exclusively as the point. Uh, he did develop Joel Embiid to the point where he got a player who missed his first couple of years because he was injured and had only one season of college basketball and literally hit the ground running. And in fact, even as a part-time player, I say part-time, he played 30-some games as a rookie. Um, you know, some people are actually thinking about him as rookie of the year, despite the fact that he played less than half the season. And I thought once he, um, 
he, he got a team that was more competitive, uh, he did well. Remember, he was only uh, four bounces away from getting his team to the conference finals. And, um, and that year, meaning the year before the season that just concluded, he had uh, essentially three different teams. And he had to manage that and, of course, deal with all the shifting roles and whatnot. And that wasn't easy. So, uh, overall, I think Red did a really good job. And it's not to say that it wasn't time for the Sixers to make a move. I think oftentimes when you have a situation like that, uh, the coach becomes the victim. And unfortunately, that happened to Brett. But I wish him well. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if he wants back in at some point. Knowing Brett, he'll probably take uh, a little bit of time just to be with his family and be with his own thoughts. Now the Sixers have to go looking for a different coach. Yeah, and to piggyback, uh, piggyback off that point about looking for a new coach, obviously there's been rumblings about you know Tyron Lue or Mike D'Antoni, who's been the assistant for the Sixers not that long ago, or Billy Donovan, but he was just hired by the Bulls last night. Uh, in with as regards as regards to the new uh, you know head coach for the Sixers, do you think that um, off that short list, do you think who do you think will be the best fit for them uh, for next season? I certainly. And let me just put my own personal preference here. I always look for a coach that is strong on the defensive end. That's not to say that a guy like, for example, Mike D'Antoni wouldn't be a good coach because I know that he is known pretty much as an offensive guy. But that would be my own personal preference, someone who emphasizes that end of the floor. And unless there are some major personnel moves, this coach is going to have to figure out how to blend the talents of Embiid, Simmons, Horford, and whoever else the front office gets, whether it's by way of draft or free agency or a trade, and be willing to not necessarily come in with a system and implement that system, but to formulate a system around the players that he has in order to, or maybe I should say she has, you never know, um, to to play to their strengths. So uh, a coach has to have um, a lot of different skills today. Not only X and O and managing egos, but uh, putting into play analytics, which has become a huge part of the game, dealing with the news media, which has become a gigantic thing now given the advent of digital media and so many demands on their time. So, uh, you know, the, the Bulls have had their coaching vacancy now, and they've been out of the playoffs, so they've had a little more time. You mentioned Billy Donovan a little more time to consider it. I think the Sixers right now are just being very careful to make sure that they make the right move and get the right guy for this particular team. Yeah, and I I think that's a great point, Mark, that you bring up about kind of blending this talent together. And, you know, again, as I touched on in the beginning of the show, a lot of expectation coming into this season, and and that kind of rode off of the signing of Al Horford. uh, Four years, $109 million, a huge contract um and and thought we were getting a player um that didn't really show up this year um you know just just up to the expectations do you think with a new coach he can find a way to fit into this system and and be a player uh for this team and is his remaining time here in philadelphia yeah i i think i might um analyze your choice of words as it relates to not showing up uh al horford is quite the competitor He's a guy who plays winning basketball. I believe he's made the playoffs every year he's been in the league. He was uh, a great success with teams everywhere he was. He went to the conference finals with Atlanta. Uh, he had great success with the Boston Celtics. 
and he seemed like a great fit just as it related to the way he goes about his business, uh, the kind of game he plays. And again, uh, with Joel Embiid, the minutes he would have to play, given the fact that you expect Joel will not play an entire season. I do think that, as it turned out, he wasn't a good fit as it related to um, the way the Sixers played on the offensive end. And listen, uh, this is not a perfect science. So uh, you rarely have a general manager whose every move is absolutely perfect and works out great. Uh, The best general managers take the draftees that don't work, take the free agents that don't work, take the trades that don't work, and either figure out a way to make them work or make the changes necessary to parlay that into, let's say, different players or or different philosophies. So um, unless the Sixers are able to make a move with Horford, I would say whatever coach comes in next will be happy to have a guy like Al Horford. But, yes, we'll be challenged in some way to make him fit and get the most out of him um, as it relates to the way he fits in with the rest of the team. Yeah, and real quick, Mark, before I do swing it over to Connor for the next question, you are right. Um, definitely should, you know, reword that. And, and I did not exactly mean not showing up. Um, I guess more of what I meant was, you know, when he was in Boston, he, he was a killer for the Sixers. Um, and I guess people thought just his play this year, and again, there were a variety of factors that went into how the team performed, um, just did not perform to the expectation uh, that some people had of him. But very true. I should have yeah, lost words there. No, 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 no. In fact, quite to the contrary. Uh, if that's the way you feel, uh, you're certainly entitled to your opinion. This is your podcast, and I think people who do podcasts and do sports talk are expected to give your, their opinion. So um, whether or not that is your true opinion, I, I, I certainly respect it. I would just, just because I disagree doesn't mean that I'm right. <laughs> no, and that's true. <clears throat> I want to swing over to about uh, Tobias Harris, who signed a max deal last offseason, five years, $188 million. Um, he's still 28 years old. I think he's entering, I believe, into his prime. Um, what do you expect from him next year? As He's looked at as that third guy behind Joel Embed, and even as the second guy as a scoring option behind Embiid. So that's the challenge, again, facing the coach, because uh, Tobias was signed to a giant deal, and a lot of teams might shy away from that because of the obligation. I think that uh, Elton Brand, his age and the abilities that he possessed and the kind of guy that he is, that um, he was worth that kind of money. And quite frankly, had the Sixers not given it to him, he would have found um, you know close to the equivalent dollars from another team. Of course, you, you could sign up for more than any other team as your own free agent. But um, Tobias is a guy who, first of all, you want him on your team just for the kind of person that he is. He's an outstanding locker room guy. He's great at galvanizing the team. He's awesome when it comes to the community and doing interviews and that sort of thing. But again, uh, fans obviously want to see what is it that he's going to be able to produce on the floor. And nobody was more frustrated during the playoffs than Tobias's inability to get it done than him. Um, perhaps the Sixers were a little more uh, or a little too focused on Joel Embiid. And that kind of left Tobias to, uh, you know, pick up the crumbs as opposed to having more plays run for him. So maybe that's the mandate of the next coach. I'm not sure. But I'm happy to have Tobias Harris on the team. Um, I am heartened by the fact that he is a tremendous worker. And you know that he's going to remember the kind of playoff series that he had this year and work that much harder for next season. 
Yeah, and, and Mark, real quick, before I move off that point of, of the star players, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, Tobias as, as well as Al and, and some of these other guys, it's kind of um, too much too much skill to an extent for, for this team. And I think, you know, the ball needs to be in, in hands of everybody, um, if that makes sense. You know, Tobias is, is a very skilled guy, and, um, you know, the money kind of reflected that. So I think, a, you know, a huge point is predicated off of what that coach is going to do and how he's going to mesh all of these talents together. But kind of moving now to the bench of the Philadelphia 76ers, do you think the Sixers will go out this season and, and acquire, um, you know, more uh, depth at that bench position, or do you think they're going to kind of try to, um, you know, work with these younger guys and, and develop them to be the bench of the future? Well, let's see. If Let's just assume for the sake of argument that they stay with the current team. Um, I don't think their bench would, would is all that bad, to be quite honest with you. I think that, um, you know, you are challenged given the fact that you are a cap team. So th- that's going to make it uh, that much more difficult, certainly for Elton Brand. Of course, most teams are. Uh, I think in Alec Burks, you have a guy who's capable of scoring 20 a game. Now, this is just assuming that they re-sign these guys because they're free agents. Uh, Glenn Robinson is a guy who can hit a shot, who has a great economical playing style and is a solid defender. In fact, one of the best defenders on the team. And then you have Al Horford, as we've been mentioning, who, uh, even though he's getting up in years now, has the ability, I think, as a bench player to... um, you know, have an effect on a game. So those are three guys right there. And Perkon Korkmaz, who has kind of come into his own, so that's four guys off your bench who are capable of uh, doing good things. So that to me sounds sounds uh, pretty good. I, I know that they didn't perform as well as they should have in the playoffs. And that's something that I think the team is going to take a good hard look at. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how the front office assesses the bench or the team as a whole and what, if any, changes they do try to make during the offseason. Yeah, Mark, and expectations are hard to figure out when the team hasn't even hired a head coach yet, but uh, going on next season, what kind of expectations do you have for not just the team in general, but the star guys like Joel and Ben uh, for, for their upcoming season, what kind of strides they can make to become better players? Well, as it relates to Joel, uh, you know, he's a terrific player. He's a multiple all-star. Uh, much has been said about Joel and his ability to stay on the floor. And I don't know what can be done from a standpoint to do that. You know, as I think back to the thumb injury and the shoulder injury, uh, kind of weird, freaky things that happen on the floor. Um, Ben Simmons, of course, everyone wants him to shoot a jump shot or shoot a three-pointer, I should say. Um, I, I would say that if, if he can develop some kind of a confidence, even in his outside game, and be able to hit them, say, at even the rate that Giannis Antetokounmpo hits outside shots, uh, that would make Ben one of the best players in the league because then at least you have to give some respect to that outside shot. So just uh, t- talking about those two guys, I-, I certainly think that those are areas that they're going to concentrate on, and um, I'm sure Elton Brand and his staff are already – um, busy giving those guys the off-season regimen necessary to get that done. Yeah, and, and Mark, I think you know that's that's another great point about Ben kind of becoming that threat if he could get that shot down and and kind of working towards that. Um, you know, he is still young. He is 
still has a lot of years ahead of him. So I'm very excited to see what this team can do and, and what this head coach, um, you know, two to be determined will bring to this team. So kind of now shifting off the Sixers and, and the remaining basketball that is left of this season, um, diving into the Western Conference first between the L.A. Lakers and the Denver Nuggets, uh, we kind of want to get your take on what you think of this series and then um, a prediction of who's going to win this series. Mm. I certainly have felt all along as though LeBron James was going to claim another championship. I just think the combination of James and Anthony Davis is is superior to any combination that any other team could throw out there. I think Denver has to feel very good about the fact that they won a game that they really had to. I think the one thing that we've seen in this series is the emergence of Jamal Murray as a legit star. You know, he, he has shown now the ability to take over and be a good complement to Nokic and, um, or I'm sorry, um, Jokic. And I think that, um, Jamal Murray and, and the Nuggets are a team that could still give the Lakers a lot of trouble. But I, listen, I'm a LeBron guy. I know he has a share of critics, but, uh, I think he's primed and ready to take this. I think mentally he, um, he has the ability to lead his team and do the kinds of things still at his advanced age to win a title. And my money is still on him and still on him until somebody tells me otherwise. Yeah. And, and, and it's undoubtable in, in my mind that LeBron's, you know, the greatest player of this generation and that we've seen, uh, you know, play the game of basketball in the NBA in our lifetime. But um, as let's say, hypothetically speaking, LeBron does go out in these playoffs and gets his fourth championship. How does that stack up? as him as being the greatest player ever compared to obviously Michael Jordan? Certainly he'd still be short two titles, but I think when given the body of work, that will put him squarely in the conversation. Not only uh, winning another title, his fourth, but three different teams. So think about that for a second. Uh, And LeBron, you know, it's funny how far up now he's gotten on the all-time scoring list yet one of the greatest passing big men in the history of our game. I mean, here's a guy who who averaged over 10 assists per game, a career high, and he did it at the age of 35. And, oh, by the way, he's still playing, what, 35, 36 minutes a game, and that's during the regular season, more than that in the playoffs. So um, I think a fourth title will put him very much in that conversation, along with, uh, you know, a handful of other guys. I might still give the edge to Michael Jordan just based on two more titles, but LeBron's going to certainly have a seat uh, at that table and deservedly so. Uh, I want to ask about Jimmy Butler. Obviously, he's he's doing wonderful in Miami, and he's only two wins away from the NBA Finals. Obviously, as a Sixers fan, it's pretty disappointing to see after the run, the short-term run he had with the Sixers and, and the front office, him not be able to get a deal done. But um, do you think that marriage between Jimmy Butler and the Sixers was just bound to not happen or do you think maybe it was a little too soon to end end with that marriage between Butler and uh, the Sixers the Sixers I can't say that I'm privy to the inner workings as to how much Jimmy wanted to stay with the Sixers versus say force a deal with the Miami Heat which ultimately happened I think the Sixers were faced with a choice of keeping Butler, which would have meant taking the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands. 
turns out they've kind of done that a little bit anyway. So maybe uh, had they kept Butler, the evolution of Ben as more of a point forward would have happened that much quicker because Jimmy Butler needs the ball in his hands. Uh, overall, though, I think Butler is in the perfect situation right now in that he is clearly the focus. He is the leader. He is the guy who's going to take the big shots. He's the guy who's going to handle the ball. He's the guy that these young players are looking up to. So um, I'm not sure how much Jimmy Butler would have thrived with the Sixers given the current collection of players. But as we say, that ship has sailed, and now he's doing his thing for the Heat, and the Sixers have to look elsewhere for help. All right, Mark. So, again, we really appreciate you coming on today. And just one final last question uh, for you. Um, what was your favorite Sixers moment or your favorite Sixers call so far in your career? Hmm. I often tell people that my favorite game to call was game three of the 1999 NBA playoff series between the Sixers and Orlando. The Sixers had made the playoffs for the first time in eight years. They were a six seed. The Magic was a three seed. And I just remember the Sixers splitting the first two games with Orlando, so they had made it a series. And they came back to what was then, I think, first Union Center, now, of course, Wells Fargo Center. And the place was just stoked for that first playoff game in eight years. And I remember fans coming early. I remember as the countdown clock to the opening tip went down, the place just grew louder and louder. I'm not sure anybody even sat down during the game. I mean, people were just out of their minds with excitement. Uh, it was Allen Iverson that game had an NBA record that I think still stands of 10 steals in an NBA playoff game. So he was out of his mind. I remember Matt Geiger nearly having a fight with um, the late Chuck Daly, who was then the coach of the Orlando Magic. It was just an unbelievable two and a half hours uh, of NBA basketball. It, it, it was really quite the spectacle. So um, that, I think, uh, as I'm closer to the end, as opposed to the beginning, will probably end up being uh, my most memorable moment or my most memorable game, calling the games. Well, hopefully there'll be a lot more memories coming up uh, you know, soon with the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, but again, from me and Mark in the studio, I really appreciate you uh, coming on, and hopefully we can talk soon about uh, you know, the Sixers making another run. That'd be awesome, guys. Please have me on again. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. I'll talk to you soon. You got it. Hey, guys, did you enjoy the show? Well, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Connor underscore Mark underscore show to keep up with all of our content. You can listen to any of our episodes on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, or any other streaming host online.